Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. This is your Mad Prophet of the Airwaves, and welcome to Radio Free Canada News, Notes, and Opinions from the Underground for Friday, September 2nd, in the year of our Lord 2022, as we roll into a holiday long weekend. Unless your brain is broken, it should be completely clear by now that everything the Democrats in the U.S. and their lapdogs in the media claimed Trump was, namely a fascist, Biden actually is. Grampy Beijing Joe Biden told us he's a fascist. Grampy Beijing Joe Biden looked like a fascist. Last night in that horribly staged debacle in Philadelphia. It was billed as the soul of America. You had that red backdrop. Who thought this up? A red Soviet era style backdrop with the silhouettes of soldiers, Marines, in the background. And that dark mood lighting. And then there was the absolute garbage that fell out of his mouth. It was chilling. It looked like a cross between the Nuremberg rally or a speech from Joseph Stalin. He vilified his political opposition. He vilified them. He he went there. He justified violence, basically, against his political opponents. This deeply compromised and cognitively impaired pile of dust 
did what every tyrant, tyrant and dictator does. And here, in my view, is what is true. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now, as I speak, in state after state, to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers to undermine democracy itself. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. So he vilified his political opposition. Now, the, the hypocrisy is beyond what I normally expect from the left. He said we must all reject violence as a political tool, and yet he chose as his vice president, cackling Kamala Harris, someone who in the immediate wake of the 2020 Minneapolis riots began raising money for a bail fund to get violent rioters out of jail. Someone who even after the protests turned terribly violent, urged that the protesters not stop even beyond the fall election. That was Kamala Harris. Biden talks about unifying the country. Yet he calls one half of the country semi-fascists. He told a black Trump supporter, if you don't support me, you ain't black. He just weaponized the IRA and hired 87,000 new agents. And you know they'll be going after his political opponents, namely 74 million Trump supporters. He weaponized the FBI and raided the house of a former president. This speech was called the soul of America, but Biden should be examining his own soul. Biden is now so desperate. He is inciting some kind of violent incident from Trump supporters so he can declare them all domestic terrorists. So look for his weaponized DOJ to indict Trump. Also look for some kind of false flag operation engineered by the FBI in order to frame Trump supporters. It's coming. You heard it here. Mark it down on your calendar. So a reporter asked Arizona GOP nominee for governor, Carrie Lake, who is terrific. Terrific. The reporter asked her why she thinks Biden is being divisive. Why, why doesn't she call Trump out for being divisive for questioning the 2020 election? Here's her response. Questioning an election where there are obviously problems is, is dividing the country. Since when can we not ask questions about our elections? As a journalist for many years, I was a journalist after 2016, and I distinctly remember many people just like you asking a lot of questions about the 2016 election results. And nobody tried to shut you up. Nobody tried to tell Hillary Clinton to shut up. Nobody tried to tell Kamala Harris when she was questioning the legitimacy of these electronic voting machines to stop. We have freedom of speech in this country, and you of all people should appreciate that. You're supposedly a journalist. You should appreciate that. 
So I don't see how asking questions about an election where there are many problems is dividing a country. What I do see dividing a country is shutting people down, censoring people, canceling people, trying to destroy people's lives when they do ask questions. Last I heard, we still have the Constitution. It's hanging by a thread, thanks to some of the work some people in this area have done. But we're going to save that Constitution, and we're going to bring back freedom of speech. And maybe someday you'll thank us for that. (laughs) Don't count on it. So again, yeah, why is it okay for the Dems to question the outcome of an election? Why is it okay when the Dems and the media call Trump an illegitimate president? The left and the media said 2016 was a stolen election. Did you forget about that? Hillary Clinton said it. She's still saying it. Kamala Harris said it. Biden agreed with her. The media talked about it for months and years. That wasn't divisive. You don't remember that? Let me play you a small sample, a montage of Hillary and Kamala and Biden and Jimmy Carter and the media all parroting the same garbage about Trump stealing the election or the Russians stealing the election on behalf of Trump. Remember this? You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's the real thing. I'm scared about in 2020. But but rightly. Because I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you... You know, fight against that in 2020. You are absolutely right. He's an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put in office because of the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this. President elect. As a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. There absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And in that sense, it's illegitimate. There you go. That's that's a two-minute sample of a montage that goes on for about 10 minutes. So don't give me this malarkey about Trump or Trump supporters being divisive by questioning the outcome of the 2020 election. When the Democrats, Democrats did it and their media lackeys did it for four years running. European leaders made a fatal miscalculation when they decided to sanction Russia for invading Ukraine. And I'm not saying that uh, Putin is not a thug. He is a thug. And I'm not saying that, you know, he's an aggressor. Of course, he's an aggressor. But the European leaders were very, very foolish. They painted themselves into a corner by allowing a child, really an uninformed, manipulated child, Greta Thunberg, and the cult who follows her. The European leaders... They basically gave her a seat at the table, allowed her to influence policy and the climate change cult. And now European leaders have shot themselves in the foot by shutting down their coal-fired and nuclear power plants. And all they had was Russian natural gas. And of course, they had the unreliable wind and the sun. Now they have no Russian natural gas. 
except when they can now buy it from China and India. So Russia sells the natural gas to China and to India, and then China and India sell it to Europe at inflated prices. So now the average German is paying $3,000 per month to heat their home. Electricity rates in Britain are now so high, supermarkets and pubs across the country can't afford to keep the lights on. But don't worry. Don't worry. Because outgoing British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has the solution. If you have an old kettle that takes ages to boil, it may cost you £20 to replace it. But if you get a new one, you'll save £10 a year for every year on your... £10 a year every year on your electricity bill. There you go. Save £10 a year on your energy. Western European leaders have proven themselves to be complete and utter failures. Buy a new tea kettle. Buy a new tea kettle. This will go down in history as the worst utterance from a British MP or British Prime Minister since Neville Chamberlain promised peace in our time after attempting to appease the Nazis. All right, here's what's uh, coming up on today's multiple Edward R. Murrow award-winning radio program. Infectious diseases physician Dr. Jennifer Grant will be here. Last order of business to explain why universities mandating masks on campus at this point is silly and mandating vaccine boosters is unethical. Greg Carrasco will be here. We'll talk about Biden's Nuremberg rally speech last night. Kelly Brown from Rubicon Capital and the accidental and unofficial COVID-19 vaccine data analyst will be here. So much to talk about with Kelly. Ontario dropping the five-day quarantine for people infected with COVID, but the feds are maintaining a 14-day quarantine for the unvaccinated who test negative. Then there's the UK quietly recommending pregnant and nursing women not get a COVID vaccine. The Lim Riddler will be here. The Sofa Cinephile will be here. But first, Lisa Bildy of Libertas Law is representing a group of students at Western University over this ridiculous, unethical vax mandate. The Richard Serracho off and running for Friday, September the 2nd. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serracho Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Uh, Lisa Bildy of Libertas Law is representing a group of students who are registered to attend Western University uh, upcoming uh, this uh, fall semester, uh, along with their parents. And uh, she has sent a demand letter to the university and uh, basically informing them that their requirement for students and staff to disclose vaccination status to return to campus next year is against provincial information and privacy laws. Lisa Bildy, welcome back. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks. Uh, So what is a demand letter exactly? Well, it's a letter that lawyers usually send to the opposing party that they're likely going to be suing just to put them on notice that this lawsuit is coming and uh, here's how you can avoid it. Um, and, uh, and that sort of just gets, sets the tone. Uh, and if they don't want to resolve it, then you follow up with a lawsuit. So, uh, when you write that the requirement to disclose vaccination status, I, I think I understand, you know, that how it would contravene provincial privacy law or uh, privacy laws. But when you say it contravenes provincial information, can you explain that for me? Right. So there's, there is legislation called the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. And it says that institutions 
So it doesn't apply to everybody, but it says that institutions, and, and Western is one of the named institutions in the regulations, um, cannot collect personal information except under very uh, explicit circumstances. One of those is if it's required by statute. Another is if it's needed for law enforcement or if it's necessary to their, to their uh, lawful activities that they're, that they're, that they're doing. So, um, so last year, if you recall, we had the reopening Ontario act, we had orders and we had the chief medical officer telling people through directives that they had to have these vaccine policies in place. And so there was a, there was a statutory basis for it last year. So when we were looking at, you know, how can we go after these mandates this year? What's a quick and easy way to get into court hopefully and, and resolve this, um, we thought, well, what's changed? Well, the privacy situation has definitely changed because they don't have that ability now to, um, you know, to, to rely on the statute anymore. There's nobody, there's no reopening Ontario Act in effect anymore. All the orders under it were rescinded. And so they're on their own, basically. So then they have to argue, well, uh, I mean, it's not, a, it's not needed for law enforcement, so that exception doesn't apply. So then they have to argue that it's necessary in order for them to, um, you know, conduct their normal lawful activities. Okay, well, how come it's necessary for Western to do that, but not necessary for Waterloo, um, McMaster, you know, Fanshawe across town, right? Like they, they're going right. to even brush a college right on their own campus. They're going to have a hard time establishing that they need to have this booster mandate and collect all this personal information from everybody on campus when nobody else needs to do it. All right, Lisa, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and, and, and discuss further if you can hang with us for a little bit longer. Lisa Bildy of Libertas Law, again, representing a group of students registered to attend Western University uh, this uh, fall semester, along with their parents. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Lisa Bildy stays with us of Libertas Law, and uh, she is representing a group of students registered to attend Western University's upcoming fall semester along with their parents. And, of course, they have this unethical, immoral vaccine mandate in place uh, along with a, uh, a mask mandate. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit more later in the show with uh, Dr. Jennifer Grant, an infectious diseases physician as well, who wrote uh, or co-authored a, a great piece, an opinion piece in the Sun newspapers. Um, Lisa, are, is the university also, uh, I mean, it's, it's it would seem under normal circumstances that this would be a tap in, except, you know, one can never figure out which way the courts are going to rule. But are they also not further undermining their whole argument for a vaccine mandate when they are offering exemptions to people willing to give them money? Yeah, well, I would certainly say so. I mean, is this a health and safety issue or, or is it something else? Um, it, it's interesting when you look at the list of, well, let me just back up and say, first of all, there are, there's sort of two categories. There's the students, employees, and volunteers um, that are dealt with in, in, in one way. They have to provide their notice of um, their vaccination status. They have to upload it into the system and so on. And there's another group of, of people who are captured by this, and that's visitors to the campus. And I think they just have to attest, um, and, and maybe I'm not entirely sure what that entails. I don't think they're going to have to upload anything, but they do have to declare their status. And so, interestingly, they've produced a list of people who are exempt from that, who, who might be visitors to the, to the campus. So you've got um, construction workers who have to come onto campus or tradesmen who have to uh, come and fix something. They need to be boosted. 
But if you are a donor or even a prospective donor, or you're coming to see a varsity game or, or you're an athlete who's, who's come from another school, you do not have to be vaccinated. So, you know, the, the rules seem a little arbitrary, let's just say. Well, so there's there's a couple of things here. One, uh, to me, this is a clear case of coercion. And we've seen this not just in universities, but across the country. So, you know, you choose. You either receive this uh, uh, vaccine or you will lose your um, your livelihood. So there's coercion. But if you're offering an exemption for people who who are willing to give the university money, isn't that isn't that textbook extortion? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. <laughs> well, I don't know if I, I, I don't know what textbook extortion really is, but um, but you know, it certainly does sound like you know, even if their intentions, even if we steel man this and say their intentions are good, they want to keep campus safe, they want to restrict the number of people coming onto campus who who aren't boosted, assuming that their science is all correct. I mean, just you know, I think it's not, but whatever. Uh, you know, still, um, then why would you have, yeah, why would you have certain categories of people coming to a stadium, for example, to watch a game, uh, a varsity game? Wouldn't you think that in that sort of confined environment, you'd be just as likely to spread as you would in a classroom? I mean, it, again, when you're talking about health and safety, it, it has to make sense at least a little bit. And, and I don't think it is. Now, I'm not going so far as to, to say that there's a whole lot of malice or anything like that here, but, but it just doesn't add up. So this demand letter that you sent, was it addressed to the chancellor, the provost, the, the president, the board of governors, whom? I sent it to the president and their legal counsel. And then I have already heard now from their outside counsel that they've retained. And so this is moving along. I've, uh, I've drafted. I, I want to say, too, I want to make a little plug for the Democracy Fund, which was also looking at taking some legal action. And they are um, partnering with us. So um, I have uh, some assistance from their counsel and um, and, and they're going to be helping with this case. So um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we've we've got a lawsuit drafted, and it's just uh, in the, it's Friday afternoon. I don't think it's going to get issued today. It'll be issued Tuesday morning for sure. Uh, I mean, I know you're focused on this 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 action, but couldn't this all have been avoided if Premier Ford had simply said, you know, it's, it seems to me he said, well, we've washed our hands of it. We're we're lifting the mandates, but the institutions and the organize you can do what you want. Had he simply come out and said, no, no vaccine mandates, public or private, that's it. This all could have been avoided, don't you think? 
Well, you know, you can go way back and say it could have been avoided right from the beginning. I mean, I personally, and I, I know there are others among us, but personally, I was speaking out against this before we even had our first mandate because I could see it coming. Yes. And there were already some hints in, in opinion pieces in, in the popular media saying, well, why don't we make the healthcare workers get vaccinated? And I thought, well, here we go. That was the time when we, we should have said, no, we're not going to mandate it. We don't normally do that. And but if we were so far into in, down the you know that path, just nobody really knew what the facts were, and uh, we weren't getting an honest appraisal from the media on anything. So it was once that was unleashed, um, you know, well the gates of hell opened, I guess, for a lot of people who who are unhappy with this. Uh, yes, I think Doug Ford could certainly do more <clears throat> to try and rein it in at this point, and uh, uh, he's not. I, I don't I don't know why. Um, but it, uh, you know, they're they're harder to justify for sure now, and and I think that I, I'm hopeful that a court will will look at this argument and say, well, you know, I don't even have to talk about the science. We can just talk about is this allowed under the Privacy Act? Are, are they allowed under uh, the Freedom of Information and Privacy Act? Are they allowed to collect this information? And if they aren't, well, it's a little hard to have a mandate. Uh, if this uh, goes to court. Um, what what court would hear a, a case such as this? Would it be a superior court or? Yes. Yes, that's where it's uh, going to be heard in, in hopefully in London. And I'm trying, hopefully, to get it into court fairly quickly because I know a lot of people are concerned about, you know, what do they do? Do they have to do they have to get the shot uh, if they don't want to? Do they have to declare by October 1st? Uh, I'm hoping that we'll have an answer before then. I can't promise. I, I'm not in control of the situation that way, but I'm doing my utmost along with my uh, my colleagues to try and get it heard as quickly as we possibly can so people can have some answers. Lisa, great work. Thank you so much for spending some time with us again. Oh, my pleasure, Richard. Take care. Lisa Bildy of Libertas Law, representing a group of students at uh, Western Universities uh, who are registered for this upcoming fall semester, along with their parents. And uh, I wish her Godspeed on this one. All right. When we come back, a little fact check this. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. All right. They used to call this another conspiracy theory. Do you remember when people were having smart meters installed? We were encouraged to buy smart meters or to sign up for smart meters in other words for your utilities a a smart meter for your thermostat by you know if it has smart in front of it they were pushing it right smart appliances buy smart appliances get a smart meter it'll be more efficient you'll save on your energy costs and uh a lot of people were saying, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're, you're giving control to your, of your thermostat over to the utility company. Maybe not such a good idea. Maybe they'll lock you out of your thermostat at some point. Oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. That's nonsense. Take off your tinfoil hat. Utility company controlling your thermostat. Well... The conspiracy theorists, we owe them a beer. Thousands of utility company customers in Colorado were locked out of changing their thermostats 
due to an energy emergency sparking outrage that spilled onto social media. This utility company in Colorado is called XL Energy. XL Energy, they're based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, actually. They confirmed 22,000 customers in the Denver, Colorado area were signed up for the Colorado AC Rewards Program. And they were locked out of their thermostats for several hours on Tuesday. This is being reported by KMGH-TV in Colorado, Denver. Tony Tallarico, an XL Energy customer in Arvada, Colorado, told the TV station he, he attempted to turn up the air conditioning as temperatures creeped into the 90s on Tuesday, but was greeted with a message from his thermostat declaring an energy emergency and prevented and he was prevented from turning the dial. Normally when we see a message like that, we're able to override it, Tallarico said. Tallarico. In this case, we weren't. Our thermostat was locked. It was locked in at 78 or 79 degrees. Some customers posted on social media they were stuck with some temperatures as high as 88 degrees. In a statement... XL Energy pointed out that the customers were part of a rewards program that gave them a discount on their energy bill in exchange for permission to give the company some control over their smart thermostats. It's a voluntary program. Emmett Romine, a vice president of customer solutions and innovation at XL, told KMGH-TV, let's remember that this is something that customers chose to be a part of based on their incentives. I'm sure that part about locking them out of the thermostat was in the fine print. Customers receive a $100 credit when they sign up for the program and $25 annually. $25 annually. The company says the program helps make the system more reliable. There you go. It wasn't a conspiracy theory, was it? So look for the utility companies and the province and the government getting behind promoting these smart thermostats and smart meters and smart appliances. Oh, you'll save $25 a year in incentives or we'll give you $25 a year in incentives. And in the small print, it'll say, during an energy emergency, we will be able to override your thermostat or prevent you from turning on your air conditioner, or prevent you from turning on your stove. Customers receive a $100 credit. That's little solace when you're stuck in your house, and it's 104, and you can't turn on the air conditioner. Let me go back to um, this clip that I played earlier, in case you missed it. Outgoing British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. This is his solution to sky-high energy prices now in England and across Europe that are the, that, that, and the blame is squarely on the shoulders of the leaders in Europe. They thought they were being very clever with their sanctions against Vladimir Putin. Whoops, no more natural gas. Oh, that's okay. We have wind and solar. Oh, wait. That's not working. Oh, wait, we'll turn on our nuclear plant. Oh, wait a minute. We unplugged our nuclear plant. Oh, wait, we have our old coal-fired plant. Oh, wait a minute. Greta Thunberg told us to, to get rid of those. Well, we're screwed. However, 
Here's what we can offer you. If you have an old kettle that takes ages to boil, it may cost you 20 pounds to replace it. But if you get a new one, you'll save 10 pounds a year for every year on your 10 pounds a year every year on your electricity bill. If you have an old kettle, if you've got an old kettle, buy a new one and you'll save 10 pounds a year. That's wonderful. That's great. And this winter in the UK, people will be paying about $3,000 a month to heat their homes. And there will be people freezing to death. And that's on the cult of climate change people. That's on the death cult of climate change. All on you. All right, when we come back, the sofa cinephile will be here. And uh, we'll talk about a 1979, I think it's kind of a cult classic. It's called The Warriors. Stay tuned for that. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The Sofa Cinephile on The Richard Serrett Show. are the armies of the night, the Furies, the Boppers, the Hi-Hats, the Lizzies, the Turnbull ACs, the Gramercy Riffs, and these are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now, they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety stand 20,000 cops and 100,000 sworn enemies. I want them all. I want all the warriors. They've got one way out. They've got one chance. They've got one night. The warriors. Oh, wow. That's taken me back. 1979. That was one of those movies I saw probably on a Labor Day long weekend just before school started in high school at what we used to call the Dawn to Dusk uh, at the drive-in movie. You would go and you would see like back-to-back-to-back-to-back movies in your car last weekend of summer. And that was one of them. Walter Hill and his classic The Warriors from 1979. And here to tell us more about the uh, new edition from Imprint, is Christopher Garitano, creator, director of the award-winning docudrama Montauk Chronicles, and also the co-creator, executive producer, and co-host of the History Channel's The Dark Files, and finally, the host of the podcast, Off to the Witch. Christopher, welcome back. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, thank you. So, um, The Warriors, tell us about, for those who haven't seen it, tell us about the 79 cult classic. Okay, for those who haven't seen it, what a movie. So it begins in Van Cortlandt Park in the Bronx, 
and it's a future film. So it's a fantasy. It's a gang fantasy noir picture. I don't know how else to describe the genre, but it's fantastic. It's, you know, it, it was around the same time that John Carpenter made Escape from New York, and they have a very similar tonality to them, both films. So it begins in Van Cortlandt Park in the Bronx, and every gang in New York City is gathered, including a gang called the Warriors. They are then framed for murder and then begins the story. They have to get back to Coney Island with every gang you could think of trying to kill them. So it's one end of New York City to the other. Interesting cast because, I mean, I, these are not household names. Michael Beck, James Remar, Deborah Van Valkenburg, David Patrick Kelly. I mean, I, these are not these are not, you know, huge stars. Not particularly, but they did appear in a lot of movies between the late 70s and uh, throughout the 80s. You know, James Raymar was in a lot of movies. He actually was supposed to play Michael Bean's character in Aliens, but got ah. kicked out early. Interesting. All right. And so um, what else do you want to tell us about it before we, we talk about how it looks and sounds with this new edition from Imprint? I, you know, it's just an amazing movie. I saw it as a little kid and um, I, w I didn't live very far from New York City. So New York was very imposing and interesting to me. It was Gotham City, of course. And so it was such a mysterious film because it was a fantasy picture, you know, with the baseball furies is one of the gangs and they wear they, they, you know, they wear baseball uniforms and carry bats. They don't speak. They're almost like drones. It's such an amazing picture if you haven't seen it. And if you want to revisit it, what a what a movie. It's a long night movie, as I call it. And Imprint uh, recent re recently released one of the best uh, Blu-ray releases I've seen. You know, it's a little pricey, but it has two discs and two versions of the film, which is the theatrical cut as well as the director's cut. And it has a slew of extras on it. So for anyone that appreciates this picture, I mean, that's that is the one to get. It's worth the you could find it somewhere between 50 and 60 dollars. Wow. And uh, so what kind of extras do we get in the uh, the new imprint edition? So you get, uh, I believe, some featurettes on the director's cut that were originally on the previous standard Blu-ray, which you can get for much cheaper. But on the second disc, you get about seven different documentaries, everything from the creation of that that pumping synth score by Barry DeVorzon to interviews with the cast, new commentaries by film historians, um, an interview with Walter Hill on the first disc, uh, the making of the film. I mean, you know, there very rarely does a company go this far. And I think they did it right. Fantastic. Now, it seems to me, um, I don't know if I have my timeline timeline right, but uh, New York in the late 70s, I mean, it was pretty gritty um, and it was this kind of, I don't know, I know it was supposed to be set in the future, uh, but was it kind of a commentary on, on what was happening in, in New York at the time? I think it had just recently had declared bankruptcy. I'm not sure if Ed Koch was the mayor back then or not, but it, I mean, it was, it was gritty. New York City was a very gritty kind of crime ridden city back then. As it is now. Yeah, no, it was a total reflection on New York at the time and not unlike the previous release of A Clockwork Orange, where it had an effect um, the Warriors did, too. There was a lot of violence being blamed on the film. Oh, oh really? Interesting. Yes. All right. So, again, they can pick that up from imprint, a little pricey, uh, but as you say, certainly worth the money. All right, Christopher, tell us uh, how we can listen to Off to the Witch, the uh, podcast. 
So go to wherever you find your podcasts and search off to the witch. And we just had a, a fantastic interview with a woman who claimed that she's been visited by evil entities. And what a discussion that was. You know, I, I don't I don't judge uh, my subjects. I allow them to tell their story. And that's up to you how you feel about it. But what a discussion. All right. Look forward to speaking with you next week. Great job as always, Chris. Thank you. Christopher Garitano. First, we filled your mind. Now, let's twist it. This is <laughs> The Limb Riddler. All right, here is that devilish wordsmith, The Limb Riddler. Oh, oh, oh. All right. How you doing, Richard? I'm happy right. Friday. Hey, happy Friday and excited about the long weekend holiday. Yeah, right on, right on. All right, so uh, limb riddles. These are uh, kind of a combination between a limerick and a riddle, and people need to look solve for a one-word answer that answers each of the riddles. What else do they need to know? Yeah, well, the, the easiest way to solve them, of course, is to go to the web, website. That's uh, at limbriddles.com. You can read along with me if you go to the homepage. And it's just, yeah, it's just simpler if you see it in front of you. T- uh, this week's is called The Point. I have a sense that this one favors the lawyers uh, in in the audience, of which there are several. Uh, but, you know, who doesn't have a soft spot in their heart for lawyers? Right, Richard? <laughs> Absolutely. We love the lawyers. We love the lawyers. <laughs> the point. Oh, and also, incidentally, send your one word answer to in, info at limriddles.com, info at limriddles.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe. That way, each week, each Friday, the Limb Riddle is sent directly to your email inbox, and then you have it. You can read it, and uh, you can just pour over it and use your highlighter. And Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Scribble in the margins and all that great stuff. Uh, And then be sure to put... 960 in the subject line. That way we know you heard the limb riddle on the Richard Serrett show here on Saga 960 AM. Here we go with this week's limb riddle, the point. The point. Release of a writ for the case to be tried. Yesterday's Vogue or today's TV guide. In family affairs, they're the lineal heirs. The point in debate where we each take a side. Whoa, let's have that one one more time. Okay, the point. Release release of a writ for the case to be tried, yesterday's Vogue or today's TV guide. In family affairs, they're the lineal heirs, the point in debate where we each take a side. 
Oh, that's a good one. That's a toughie. All right. So uh, be sure to be listening just before the news at six when I reveal the answer to this week's Lim Riddle and uh, announce the names of the winners. Again, LimRiddles.com, the website. Send your answer to info at LimRiddles.com. Lim Riddler, you have a fantastic Labor Day long weekend. You too, Richard. All the best. Talk to you next week. You got it. The Lim Riddler. <laughs> Solve this puzzle, The Lim Riddler, every Friday at 4.50 on The Richard Serrett Show on Saga 9.60 a.m. All right, hour two awaits, including my conversation with Kelly Brown, our independent investor from Rubicon Capital and the accidental and unofficial COVID data analyst. Stay tuned. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome to Hour 2 of this multiple Edward R. Murrow award-winning broadcast. That's not true. I made that up. I think there is an Edward R. Murrow award, uh, but I have not received one. One day. Coming up at the uh, tail end of the program, we'll continue to discuss universities, well, specifically Western University, mandating masks on campus. And also mandating vaccine boosters on campus. Dr. Jennifer Grant will be here. She's an infectious diseases physician, and she co-authored an opinion piece in the Sun newspaper uh, today, I think it was, or maybe yesterday. I think it was today, along with um, Dr. Martha Fulford. And um, basically arguing that, as you can well imagine, ma- mask mandates at this point, pretty silly. And mandating vaccine boosters at this point, completely unethical. Well, I would say mandating them at any point, completely unethical. Again, so it's coercion. You're saying, imagine you're a student and you have spent, you've already, you've already rented an apartment for the year. You're on the hook for that. Uh, maybe maybe you've, you've lined up a job down there in London so that you can work part-time. Uh, you've paid your tuition, you're ready to go, and then they drop this on you, that you have to be boosted. Now you're stuck. What to do? It's, so that's coercion. However, one of the exemptions is if you're considering giving us some money, in other words, donors or prospective donors, we'll just look the other way. That's called extortion in my book. So extortion and coercion, not a good look. 
Board of Governors at the University of Western Ontario. Uh, so Dr. Jennifer Grant will be here. The great Greg Carrasco, host of the Greg Carrasco Show on uh, Saga 960, Saturday mornings, 8 to 11. It's an appointment tune. It's required listening. And of course, as I mentioned last week, the downside of Greg Carrasco Saturday mornings is you drive around town, nobody's lawn is getting cut because everyone's still in bed listening to his show. So he is indirectly responsible, I would say. I'll lay that at his feet. All right, right now, uh, much to discuss with uh, our good friend Kelly Brown from Rubicon Capital, the accidental and unofficial COVID-19 data analyst. We have, of course, most recently uh, in the UK, the uh, the summary there by their, their um, I'm not sure it was, it wasn't the National Institute of Health or the, uh, the sorry, the National Health Service, but it was a, basically a summary on the Pfizer vaccine and in the toxicity conclusion, section 3.4 of that summary, they do not recommend pregnant women take the COVID-19 vaccine. They do not recommend nursing mothers take the COVID-19 vaccine. We'll also talk about the uh, advisory, the health advisory panel here in Canada, suggesting maybe every 90 days for a booster. How do you like them apples? Kelly Brown, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Been a long time. Yeah, I've been a few months. I'm doing well, and it's really nice to speak with you and your audience again. Likewise. So uh, where to begin? Do you want to start with the the, 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 uh, the UK um, health basically recommending against pregnant and nursing women getting COVID vaccines? Yeah, sure. We can start there. We can go into some of the data from Singapore uh, after that. Sure. Yes, absolutely. OK, so there's a little bit of confusion because in the summary, it was quite clear in the toxicity section 3.4, they recommended against it. But then the government itself seemed to backpedal and say, well, no, that's not what we they that's not where we're talking about. I'm, I'm confused. But to me, it looked, it looked pretty black and white. Yeah. It, it, um, so I'm a little uncomfortable weighing in on that um, because uh, it, there is some confusion. And of course, the fact checkers came out right away and said, no, 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 no. There's been no recommendation change. So um, I, I'm a little uncomfortable weighing in on that. But it does appear that the initial yeah, that the what you just described was a document from 2020. Uh, it's certainly out there in, in black and white, um, but they're obviously doing a bit of a propaganda job to, to hide that. Um, OK. So let's move on then. Let's talk about uh, in Singapore. I think you're referring to this was uh, birth rates, right? A Correct. Drop in, a drop in birth rates. And we've heard uh, not from the Singapore study, but elsewhere about excess mortality and so forth in the UK. Uh, so you've got falling birth rates. You've got excess mortality. Uh, so let's talk about the Singapore study. Yeah, for sure. Well, this uh, this wasn't a study. Uh, this was done uh, some great work done by Alex Berenson, who is a former your listeners may know. He's uh, very big on Twitter. He's former uh, New York Times journalist uh, and, you know, new independent journalist. Um, and he's done a great job breaking down all kinds of covid data. Um, and he was banned from Twitter and then sued Twitter and successfully got back on the platform. Anyway, he just did some recent analysis of Singapore birth data. Um, and what he found was, is in 2022, starting in around March, the birth rates, the, the uh, number of births, I should say, started to decline uh, in the neighborhood of around 10% starting in March of 2022. And his conclusion was essentially, well, that's nine months from uh, birthing age people, uh, women, 
uh, uh, getting uh, fully vaccinated. About 90% of the population there is vaccinated at that point. So he was putting two and two together and saying, well, this timing is quite interesting. So he wasn't, he didn't necessarily link it to vaccination and saying this was the cause, but the data, the data showed up. And then I decided to me, the, so to me, the, the conclusion there that the birth rates would start dropping at exactly nine months didn't quite make sense to me, actually. I thought, well, wouldn't it make sense that if it was the vaccines causing that um, that it, you might actually see that a bit sooner. So if everyone's vaccinated by July 2021, wouldn't you maybe see some change in the birth rate before that? And uh, so I so I dug in a little. For, I wanted to replicate what he did, and I and right. and I did that. And what I found was is the growth rates, uh, the the growth in the number of births in early 2022 was actually higher for Singapore. And the reason why is because there was a uh, there were lower births in 2021 due to lockdowns. So fewer people, I guess, Makes getting pregnant during lockdowns. So you actually had this dip in births uh, around uh, late uh, 2020 and early 2021. And so what that does is it has the effect of making the birth, the, the growth in 2022 be higher. So if you actually adjust for that, what I found and what I posted was that the growth in the number of births, they actually start, the growth rate started to go negative sooner. It started to go negative in about August of 2021. So you started to see this phenomenon and it's, it's, it's dropped off. So now, so the conclusion, so all that's a long way of saying what we, they have data up until June and in the last three, so the second quarter, April, May, June, uh, birth rates are down 10% in Singapore from the previous year. And again, not, not drawing a, a, a clear connection to the vaccine, but I mean, anecdotally, we've heard, we've also seen some reports uh, that the vaccine has somehow affected a woman's menstruation cycle. Absolutely. Uh, we've heard a lot about that. I've heard that directly from people. Some some pretty bad stories for sure. Uh, I believe we've also heard uh, uh, there have been some reports, and I don't know if these are peer reviewed, that it, that it has affected the perhaps the motility of uh, sperm. So unfortunately, we're going to have to wait till this for this real world data to come out, um, because obviously the you know, health authorities are not studying this. And so it's going to take us independent journalists and, and uh, data analysts to figure this out. It, it is coming to a head here. We are starting to get this data. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, Canada's data on births is going to start uh, for uh, still births is coming out soon for 2021. We're also getting we're going to get Q2 births in Canada and in Ontario to June very soon here. So we'll, we'll see if there's any signal in that. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to say is um, the other potential explanation for uh for some of these lower birth rates that we've been seeing, um, it, it could simply be uh, a case of less family formation over the last year or two. It could actually be fewer people coupling up and having babies. It, it, it could be a short-term phenomenon, uh, hopefully. Um, but um, we're going to know more real soon. This is going to be an interesting story that emerges for the back uh, last few months of the year as, we get, as the data rolls in. Right, particularly the, um, the the data regarding um, stillbirths, I would imagine. 
Correct. Correct. And and actually, when I look at the Singapore data, what's what's kind of interesting is, uh, and I'm not an OBGYN, so let me just make that very clear. I'm, I'm a numbers guy, not an OBGYN. But when I looked at the Singapore uh, data, it's kind of interesting that um, the, the stillbirths actually, despite the declining birth rates, stillbirths didn't go up. They, they, they kind of maintained the same. What's that being said in, in the last month, in June, the last month for which there is data from Singapore, there was a massive increase in stillbirths. It's just one month and it may have been data catch up. So stay tuned for that when the third quarter number comes out. We'll, we'll, we'll see. All right. Kelly Brown, independent investor with Rubicon Capital, the accidental unofficial COVID data analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Rubicon Capital. We'll uh, take a quick time out, come back. I want to talk about the Canada Health Advisory Board recommending getting boosters every 90 days and uh, this confusion where the uh, Ontario government has dropped the uh, the, the five-day quarantine mandate uh, and yet the federal government still has this 14-day quarantine. Uh, if you come back into the country unvaccinated, even if you test negative, it's just a complete mess. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Welcome back to the Richard Serra Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Kelly Brown is with us, our accidental and unofficial COVID data analyst at underscore Rubicon Capital uh, on Twitter. So, Kelly, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization now uh, yesterday said that Canadians might consider getting a vaccine every 90 days. What are your thoughts? How can you? I, I don't know how you can take it seriously. We went from uh, nine months to uh, as of June 30th, uh, Duclos, the health minister said that to six months and now to 90 days in special circumstances. Uh, but the actual wording of what Nazi said is is kind of interesting. Um, they said, uh, OK, you could go. With, typically, it's a six month period. And I'm just going to read the source document because it's interesting. However, a shorter interval of at least three months may be warranted in the context of heightened epidemiologic risk. So they're saying, well, if you've got an outbreak in your area or something. But then it says, as well as operational considerations for the efficient deployment of the COVID-19 vaccination program. So to me, this is just like an open-ended reason. I mean, that, that sentence doesn't sound like it has anything to do with health. <laughs> it sounds like it has to do with logistics. Right, right. And also being on the hook for 400, 400, million, 400 million doses. That I might have something to do with it. I suspect that has a, a, a large amount to do with it. I mean, just a for example here, uh, by my calculations, just from the government websites uh, for Pfizer, for example, uh, 83 million doses is what we're on the hook to purchase uh, from in 2021 and 2022 to the end of this year. We've only administered, we've administered less than 60 million of those. And Pfizer has sent us 73, according to Pfizer's website. So, I mean, I and a similar dynamic with Moderna, and we've just purchased an additional 12 million of these Omicron boosters. So it's, they, they got to get those into arms. That's what they're trying to do. And it's, it, it's really, I mean, they're so out to lunch because if you look at the fourth dose take up, it's so low. It's it's um, I think it's 12 percent on a population like for the total population. Um, and if you look at the ages uh, 60 and below, um, we're in the single digits of take ups and fourth doses. Wow. I don't know why they don't realize that people are done with this. Um, so it's it, Yeah. 
You know, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Finally, uh, Kelly, Ontario drop, dropping the mandatory five-day isolation period for those who test positive for COVID-19. This is from uh, the province's top doctor, Dr. Kieran Moore. And yet, okay, so you test positive, you still you don't have to isolate for even five days. But if you're unvaccinated and you test negative and you come to Canada, uh, if you're a Canadian even, you have to isolate for 14 days. I mean, what kind of a mess? How do we sort this out? What are we supposed to do? Well, Richard, this is this is one of the, in my opinion, this is one of the most ridiculous things of the whole pandemic now. This is this is totally ridiculous. And I don't know how public health expects us to take anything that they tell us seriously based on this. So if you and so if you let's just say if you are in Ontario and you test positive for covid, you can go to work when your symptoms you don't have to isolate and you can go to work when your symptoms are done or you can go to work and not tell anyone you're positive. Okay. whereas if you come back to Canada and you're unvaccinated, you have to take a departure test before you get on the plane to come home. You have to take an arrival test on day one, and you have to quarantine for 14 days, even if those two tests are negative. Then you have to, on day eight, take another test. And if you are negative, you still have to finish the 14-day quarantine. Whereas, and if you're positive, you have that's another 10 days, I think, you have to quarantine. It's another, it's another 10 days. This is not about health anymore, obviously. I don't think it has been for a long time. It's it's um, it's forcible. Com- it's forcible confinement. It's 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 incredible. So and it's mass yeah. confusion. I mean, do I follow the Ontario guidelines or the federal guidelines? Well, so I was just going to say, I'm glad you said that. So on the Fed, this is this is so comical on the federal website. There's a section where it's going through all these rules where it says, well, what if my provincial guidance is different? Well, you must follow the more stringent federal guidance. And it's Mm -hmm. funny because it it says it's outdated now. It says um, if you have to isolate for 10 days, but your province only says five days, well, you still have to isolate for the 10 days. So in other words, the provincial guideline is completely useless. Well, they're going to have to now update it to say you're still going to have to (laughs) quarantine for 10 days uh, despite the province having nothing. So it's very awkward. It just looks so bad. Well, once again, Doug Ford can wash his hands and say, well, you see, I'm trying to lift the vaccine. It's not my fault or the, the mandate. It's not my fault. All right, uh, Kelly, great work as always. Great to uh, to speak with you again. Hope you had a great summer. Yeah, thank you. You too, Richard. Great to speak with you again. Kelly Brown, Rubicon Capital, at underscore Rubicon Capital, at underscore Rubicon Capital. All right. When we come back, uh, the New Blue Party is uh, launching a petition to get rid of these mandates. Jim Carahalios, leader of New Blue, is next. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The uh, Ontario PC government, they have the power to ban the use of COVID-19 vaccine mandates in the private and the public sector. But yet we still have the University of Western Ontario mandating returning students be up to date with their vaccines. We have long term care facilities that are separating uh, loved ones from their elderly parents again because of these vaccine mandates. They just won't go away. So the new Blue Party of Ontario is launching a petition in order to try and pressure the Doug Ford government to finally ban vaccine mandates Jim Carahalios is New Blue Leader of Ontario. Hey, Jim, how are you? 
Good, Richard. And um, getting that petition out there early this morning. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And people are upset about what's going on. And it's enough with the, um, you know, the Ford PCs washing their hands out of a problem they created. It's time for them to step up and fix the problem they brought into Ontario. Okay. Uh, can you give us the particulars? Do you want to, can you read maybe the sort of the, um, not the entire petition, but just give us a sense of what, what it is that you're, you're, you're hoping to achieve? So the uh, electronic version of the petition and the PDF is available online at newblueontario.com. And we want to present it to every single MPP or whichever MPP in the Ontario legislature is willing to listen to the people of Ontario. And it's uh, quite straightforward. It calls for uh, Doug Ford and the Ontario government and the Legislative Assembly of Ontario to use all legal and regulatory tools at their disposal to ban the use, the continued use and enforcement of COVID-19 um, vaccine and mask mandates in public or private sector facilities in Ontario. And, you know, we had a Doug Ford. Here's the premier. A couple of years ago, we found out after the fact he bragged about the fact that he was lobbying Justin Trudeau for a national COVID-19 vaccine passport. When shockingly, the Trudeau liberals didn't agree and didn't do it or didn't do it as fast as Doug Ford wanted. He brought a COVID-19 uh, vaccine passport to Ontario for a little while. And then he faced a pushback and he quickly went away with it. But in doing so over the months of or a couple of years of dealing with COVID, he his government and himself encouraged public sector facilities in education, in healthcare to enforce proof of vaccination. And when he stepped away and and stopped implementing the passport, they have allowed those facility operators in the public sector to continue to enforce or impose them as they wish. So very uh, cunning and conniving way to uh, bring forward uh, proof of vaccination or passports, then step away and say it's not the government that's enforcing it when, in fact, it was the government that brought them forward. And now washing his hands of it and saying, well, they could do what they want. Actually, no, the universities and healthcare institutions fall under the purview of the provincial government. And you had Matt Miller, one of our great candidates on the other day, and him and his father dealing with the fact they can't visit Matt's grandparents, elderly. And the last couple of days, we've seen Western University take their money, take the money from student fees from students, and then tell them with a week or two to go before school starts that they have to have three shots, not just two, three shots of the COVID. And then one, and then one every nine months after, apparently. Right. And here's a group, here's a cohort that has virtually, uh, if they're otherwise healthy, they have there's no benefit to the vaccine. 
according to the data, and there is some risk, some risk. So where there is risk, there must be choice. That's a major tenet of public health and medicine in this country. It's gone out the window. Uh, how do we sign, uh, how do we find the petition and how do we sign, Jim? NewBlueOntario.com. It's right on the front page of our website. If you just go to NewBlueOntario.com, you'll find it. You can download the PDF version or uh, sign the electronic one, and then we'll follow up with an email letting you know how you can sign the PDF, the paper version printed, and mail it to us. Thousands of people have stepped forward because despite the fact that the mainstream media and the establishment, you know, talking heads, they want to defend Doug Ford. They want to say, oh, it's Western University's fault. It's the president of Western University. Well, no, actually, Doug Ford is actually in charge of Ontario. I know he doesn't like to admit it, but it's not Justin Trudeau. It's not the you know, the president of uh, Western University. It's actually Doug Ford. He's the premier and he runs the government. And uh, very quickly, he could stop all of this nonsense uh, whenever he felt like it. But he doesn't want to. Well, for the longest time, he was trying to hide behind the white coats of the science table. It would be political suicide not to listen to them, he said. He actually said that out loud. That's supposed to be, you know, one of those inside your head thoughts. Uh, he said it out loud. And now, as you say, he's basically washing his hands of it, saying, oh, it's not me, it's them. But meanwhile, he opened the door and allowed them to do it. So you're right, the buck stops with radical progressive Premier Doug Ford. Jim Carahalios, leader of the New Blue Party of Ontario. Again, the petition can be found up at, um, well, give us the website one more NewBlueOntario.com, and we're going to continue to hold Doug Ford and the PC government's feet to the fire. All right. Thanks, Jim. Bye now. All right, when we come back, Greg Carrasco, and there's something happening here. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Something's happening here. All right, welcome back. It's one thing to hear rampy Beijing Joe Biden's uh, speech. It's another thing to have seen it. It's And it's on YouTube to see the way that it was lit up in the back with the red and the, the silhouettes of these armed uh, Marines looking very militaristic and the, uh, the, the lighting, very ominous. It did. It looked like, I'm, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but it looked like the Nuremberg rally. Uh, it was unbelievable. I, uh, I I watched the video this afternoon, and I've been busy for the last couple of days, so I had the opportunity to uh, watch it after you sent the link. And uh, my first thought is, like, what, 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 what do you mean? Is this a real thing? Like, who thought that this was a good idea? And then people can be this easily manipulated. Like, honestly, can we add any more theatrics to that? Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, as he was talking, I, I couldn't believe the contradictions within sentence by sentence. We're doing this together. This is America. We are we the people. We are one. But if you disagree with me, you happen to be an extremist group. <laughs> yeah, half, yeah. half the country uh, wants to overthrow the government. Uh, you are election deniers and so on. How can you possibly speak about cohesive? Uh, harmonious citizenship when if you disagree with the president you will become an immediate extremist and, and it reminded me of Justin Trudeau's speech when he was talking about the freedom convoy in 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 Ottawa it's, it was it, it was a direct parallel 
Yeah, exactly. They're both playing from the the same playbook and maybe, I don't know, they have the same advisors. Uh, I mean, I, I don't understand, you know, from a political strategy, how he thinks this is going to help is does Biden think he's going to intimidate Trump supporters by raising the specter of the American military might come after you as he did, you know, before this speech, like the day or two days before he was saying, you know, oh, you brave Republicans, you know, you got your guns, but that's nothing compared to an F-15. Um, is he trying to intimidate Trump voters? Is he trying to shame them? And how do you think this is going to play out politically in the midterms? I think that he is setting the groundwork to execute something uh, justified by the speech. You know, I had to do this because I needed to protect you. And uh, I, I think that they are actually afraid of my, what may happen in the uh, in the midterm elections. Uh, otherwise, there was no need for him to to, to do the speech. What was uh, I don't see any other reason behind it. Do you? Well, unless and this is this is going to sound sinister and maybe conspiratorial, but I, I wouldn't put it past them. And that is that he's getting ready to indict Trump. For that whole yep. FBI raid, they're they're looking they're looking for a they're they're looking for a, something to pin on him, anything. Uh, so they'll indict him. That and they're hoping they're doing that because they want to incite somebody. Because there's going to be a, some loose cannon out there that's going to do something stupid, wearing a MAGA hat. He's hoping, he's praying that that happens. So then he can justify. I don't know what's the next step after that. Um, or maybe there'll be even something more sinister, like a false flag, and they'll try to pin it on some MAGA supporter, a.k.a., uh, you know, just, uh, Justin Smollett in, in Chicago from a few years ago. Well, all I can say to you is this, that um, this sounds like the perfect staging for some massive action under the justification of the American people's freedoms. We all know that uh, you cannot vilify half of the population of the United States and go unpunished with this. So he is instigating something right now as we speak, and they're going to use that as a justification to take unnecessary action. And unfortunately, I think they're going to take the action against Donald Trump. Well, we'll uh, we'll watch it. These are chilling times to be sure. What's coming up on the big broadcast tomorrow, Greg? Uh, we're going to be discussing how uh, making any significant amount of money in Canada and, and being a, a person of means uh, entitles the government to just uh, to have carte blanche into your pockets. The new luxury tax that is affecting all Canadians that want to buy an expensive vehicle simply because they want to buy an expensive vehicle is ludicrous. In fact, the entire industry, the, the, the Canadian Auto Dealers Association has put a motion forward to the government to take this unfair taxation in an already overly taxed segment of the population. This is it's ludicrous. I honestly, uh, Richard, sometimes I feel like I'm living in the Truman Show. It's like, um, is this really happening in Canada? Is, it, it actually is. It's class envy. And I've, as I've always said, the socialists, they don't love the poor so much as they hate the rich. The rich. Yes, you are absolutely right. When you uh, they claim that socialism wants to help the poor, uh, 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 that's not the basis of it. It's because they want to take the rich down. And that is. It's, it's, a, it's a doctrine based on hate, and that's one of the reasons that I will never support it. Exactly. Greg Carrasco, Greg Carrasco Show Heard, Saturday mornings, 8 to 11, appointment tuning here on Saga 960. Greg, have a great oh. uh, long weekend. Also, same to you. Always a pleasure, Richard. Talk to you soon.
All right. When we come back, an infectious diseases physician on why Western has got it all wrong. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Great opinion column in uh, yesterday's Sun newspapers, uh, co-authored by Dr. Jennifer Grant and Dr. Martha Fulford. Dr. Grant, an infectious diseases physician in Vancouver, joins me now to discuss uh, why the University of Western Ontario with regards to its vaccine mandate and its mask mandate, has it all wrong. Dr. Jan- uh, Jennifer Grant, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm well. So uh, I've been focusing on the vaccine mandate and, and talking about, you know, among other things, you have um, these exemptions where if someone is willing to give the university a donation uh, or as a prospective donor, uh, they're exempt from the vaccine mandate. I mean, so the argument just completely, you know, collapses as far as I'm concerned. But let's talk for a moment about masks and why the mask mandate on campus makes no sense from the perspective of an infectious diseases physician. Thank you. So masks, I think, were brought in early in the pandemic because we had very little available to prevent transmission. And that, I think, was reasonable at the time. But now we have a population that has um, had vaccine infection, and in most cases, both. So the efficacy of masks is obviously going to be lower in that group of people because the, the possible efficacy is lower. The other issue is that when we've actually studied masks with COVID and the best done study was in Bangladesh, there was maybe a 10 to 15 percent benefit from mask wearing um, when worn by the general public because people don't wear masks perfectly. And so they they fail because of, of user issues, not necessarily the masks. So the effect is quite small. Um, and, and reduced now that we have immune people. And now we're asking students to wear the masks a really small proportion of the time. So just when they're in teaching environment, but they're allowed to take them off and will because that's what we're seeing in the rest of society for most of the time. So the potential benefit is very, very small and therefore probably not worth doing. All right. So th- that just makes you know n- very little sense. Uh, but in terms of the vaccine mandate, there are other considerations here, as you point out, along with your co-author, Dr. Martha Fulford, uh, ethical uh, reasons. So just kind of lay out that case. Let's say, for example, a student who has uh, registered and so forth before this mandate was announced. So there are the medical ethics issues, which I'm a little bit more experienced to talk about. And, and that really is about allowing people to make decisions for their own health. The argument for forcing vaccines on people who don't want them is to protect other people. But we know that the vaccines don't stop infection and don't stop transmission, except for possibly a very transient period right around vaccination. So that argument is gone. And then the argument to push these on people for their own good is very problematic in medical ethics because we don't do that for anything else to allow autonomy. We don't make you exercise. Um, you know, your partner or your mother might, but but we as medical professionals don't. We, we don't force you to not eat food that you want, even though we know it's bad for you. And the same should hold true for anything, especially when there isn't an incentive um, to protect others, when there's no efficacy in terms of protecting others. Right. Hasn't it also been pretty well established, though, as, as well, that that for an otherwise healthy person in, in, in this young cohort, uh, th- there is very little benefit and the risk, there is small risk, but still risk. And where there is risk, there must be choice. 
Precisely. And each individual person in the, the cohort of young people needs to think about who they are and where they're from. A perfectly healthy, fit 25-year-old athlete is going to be very different from a 25-year-old who has health issues such as immune suppression or might be being treated for a cancer. And the recommendations for those people might be different. So it does come to really a one-on-one -on -one discussion with a medical professional about how you personally benefit and also including your uh, specific um, personal values, including religious and philosophic values that we've always respected for other vaccines. So I mentioned earlier this uh, exemption for um, uh, people that are uh, donating to the college, uh, <clears throat> the university rather, or are potential donors. At some point in the future, they may donate. Um, I mean, when you hear that as an infectious disease physician, uh, let's say you're on side with, you know, a vaccine mandate. Doesn't that just kind of destroy the completely destroy their their argument? Well, certainly from an infection prevention point of view, it does, because the virus really does not care if you have money to give or you don't have money to give. It, it only cares about finding people, infecting them and transmitting itself. So if we strongly believe that mandating vaccinations prevents infection and transmission and that that's an important goal of the university with policy, then it should apply to everybody. If it doesn't apply to everyone and it's really only being applied to those people um, over whom the university has power, then it really does beg the question, is this really about um, health and infection prevention or not? And I can't answer the question. I'm not a university administrator, but from a health policy point of view, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Dr. Jennifer Grant, infectious diseases physician in Vancouver and together with uh, Dr. Martha Fulford, uh, infectious diseases specialist in Hamilton, uh, co-authored this opinion columnist in yesterday's Sun newspapers. Dr. Grant, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. You know what? Before we go, I have to play this one more time. This is Boris Johnson, outgoing UK prime minister with perhaps one of the most ridiculous utterances ever next to Neville Chamberlain from a British prime minister. Here we go. If you have an old kettle that takes ages to boil, it may cost you 20 pounds to replace it. But if you get a new one, you'll save £10 a year for every year on your £10 a year every year on your electricity bill. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah, that's going to help when you're paying $3,000 a month uh, for heat and extra for electricity. All right, let's take a look. Now, your Lim Riddler answer and this week's winners. All right, this week's Lim Riddle, the point. Release of a writ for the case to be tried. Yesterday's Vogue or today's TV guide. In family affairs, they're the lineal heirs. The point in debate where we each take a side. And um, so the answer to this week's Lim Riddle was, did you get it, Jacob? Issue. Issue. Right? Release of a writ for the case to be tried in common law and court. In a court may issue a writ to compel a person to act or not act. And uh, yesterday's Vogue or TV or today's TV guide, the latest issue of a magazine is its most recent edition. In family affairs, they're the lineal heirs. In will and estate matters, a person's issue are his or her lineal descendants. And uh, the point in debate where we each take a side, an issue is an important point for debate or lively discussion. There you go. 
issue. The first five to answer correctly were <clears throat> Joe Nemet of Ridgeway, Ontario, Duncan Ruxton of Thunder Bay, Barbara Pink of Canberra, Australia, Sue Somerville of Calgary, and Kathy Elliott. I think Kathy's a new entry, a new entrant. Kathy Elliott, congratulations from Guelph, Ontario. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back next week to do it all over again, God willing. Now, Monday is Labor Day, so enjoy your long weekend, and please tune in Monday for a special Best of the Richard Serrett Show from 4 to 6 p.m. I'll speak with you next Tuesday at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.